Well, good morning. Today we'll be talking about the purpose of trials. And our scripture comes from the first chapter in James. Um, I've been doing a study with men on Saturday morning. We've been going through the book of James, and uh, it seemed to lead toward doing this sermon today. Let me read the passage together with you. Scripture is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith and without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in exultation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing its, his activities. Blessed is the one who endures the trials, because what he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to all those who love him. Amen. This ends the reading of God's holy word, inspired and inerrant. May he write his eternal truth on our hearts today. Let us pray together. Our Lord, we ask that from your word, you would teach us how we ought to respond to the trials of this life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians around the world are dying for their faith, being exiled for their faith, and enduring false imprisonment and all manner of persecutions. Many of us, in the relative comfort of America, admit we don't know much about these types of deep trials. On the other hand, there are plenty of people in this congregation who have gone through some difficult times and difficult trials. You may have suffered the infidelity of a spouse. You may have lost your job at a critical juncture in your life. And you know what it's like to have a friend betray you or have heard a chilling medical diagnosis. I could go on, but there are many times where we may have suffered in our lives and lived through difficult circumstances. And life is not only filled with personal sorrows, but because we're Christians and we bear one another's burdens, we sometimes share another one's pain, and we weep with those who weep. We have to share the grief of those who are disappointed and those who go through failure and loss, and all of those things are a part of life. And we ask questions. We say, how can I cope with this? How long will this last? How do you cope with these frightening disappointments, these moments of loss? How do we continue to live on in spite of this loss? Now, there's no such thing as a person who's immune from trials. And having perspective on trials doesn't come easily. It helps to realize that we are not alone. To realize that many people have been through difficult times, some far more difficult than we may have experienced. And I don't say that to minimize our trials. We know that God does not minimize our trials, as he has a purpose in love for us to go through them. And wherever we are in life, God promises that we can cast all our anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And that is taken from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 
And I have to tell you that that verse is special to me, and because I like it so much, I have it on a wood plaque on the wall next to my desk. And it's a reminder to be steadfast and to endure. And this is not a New Testament thing. The Psalms contain many instances of human struggles and trusting in the good God who is with us in our trials. King David wrote about his struggles. We all know that he had a difficult life, was persecuted by Saul. And one example of something he wrote is in Psalm 56 about trials and perseverance. Let's look at this passage together. King David writes, Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day, for many arrogantly fight against me. Can you identify with the feeling of being trampled? Have you been through being trampled in your life in some way? goes on verse 3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, is he telling God about his faith? Or is he trying to remind himself that God is with him, that he still trusts God in spite of the fact that his knees are knocking? Verse 5, they twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. Sometimes when we feel there's no justice, it only makes the pain harder to bear. And we feel that in David's words. David's asking for God's justice in this moment. Verse 8. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. You put, tear, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know. God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? Notice how he repeats this passage, but it's a little bit stronger now. At first he seemed tentative, now he seems like he's resting in this trust. Verse 12, I am obligated by vows to you, O God. I will make my thanksgiving sacrifices to you. For you rescued me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light of life. Notice how he's reminding himself that God is the one who has saved him, and he puts his trust in God. And the idea behind keeping of tears in a bottle is remembrance. David is expressing a deep trust in God. In the metaphor, David is trusting that God will remember his sorrow and his tears and will not forget about him. He is confident that God is on his side. He says in the midst of this troubling time, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now, God may not have an actual bottle where our tears are kept or a literal book where our sorrows are recorded, but he nonetheless remembers all the things that happen in our lives, including the suffering that we endured, even for uh, his sake. God is a tender-hearted father to us who feels our sorrows, and he weeps with us. You remember when Jesus wept, when Jesus was with Mary and Martha, just before he raised Lazarus from the grave? He knew he was about to bring back Lazarus, but he still wept with Mary and Martha he, in the loss of their brother. He shared that pain, and God shares our pain. Loss creates real suffering and real tears, and God knows each of his children intimately, and every tear we shed has meaning to him. He remembers our sorrow as if he kept a tear in a bottle. When we are struggling with disappointment and loss, we need to remind ourselves that we have a good father who has saved us, and is with us even when we are crying. 
C.S. Lewis experienced a lot of difficult times in his life, and he's recorded in his book, uh, The Problem of Pain, some of that experiences that he has drawn upon and learned from. And I've always been drawn to C.S. Lewis and his perspective on pain. He experienced pain through many trials in his life. He lost his mother at an early age. He saw his dad emotionally abandon him, and he suffered from respiratory illness as a teenager and was in a hospital for weeks. He fought and was wounded in World War I. He also had to bury his wife. And through all of this, Lewis wrote about his heartache in the book, The Problem of Pain. In this work, Lewis penned one of his most famous lines. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He uses pain to get our attention. We are most keenly aware of God's character in our suffering. It is when our self-suffering, our, excuse me, our self-sufficiency is peeled away that we now see how weak we really are. As in this moment of weakness, as God tells Paul in 2 Corinthians, my power is made perfect in your weakness. It is our pain that God has us taste his power most intimately. I see in the reality of the words of Lewis's statement clearly in my own life. God has shouted to me through some painful times and reminded me of his truth. And God has taught me it is only his words that bring life. His holy truth, which is revealed to all of us in scripture. Only his love and wisdom can heal that pain in a real way. It was in my brokenness through various trials of my life, when my child was in the hospital, when our house was on fire, when I experienced a job loss, that I saw God's true strength as he carried me along. And in the end, he will share his joy with us when it says in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the older things will have passed away. Therefore, the way we cope with trials is not to belittle them or pretend like they don't matter much because they do matter much to God. Yet we need to put them in a biblical perspective and to use, what God's, and to use God's words as wisdom and comfort as we endure these storms of life. James says that trials are useful. He is saying that our trials serve God's purpose of maturing us. In other words, Trials serve to grow us up in grace. When he says count it all joy in chapter 1, it almost sounds unrealistic when we first encounter it. It sounds like syrupy platitudes that say, once you know Jesus, you're happy all day long. And, and everything is fine and dandy. But we know that's not true. We've lived that's not true. And James' words may seem unrealistic, but don't write them off. When he says consider it all joy, I want you to understand that his words are brutally realistic and they are helpful to consider, and it's something that's born out of a maturity of a Christian walking in faith. He says that trials do have a purpose, and that we are tr being trained by our Heavenly Father, and He is preparing us from he for heaven someday. This is the purpose of our trials, James says, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God wants us to be mature, so that we, be, so that we will be complete and lacking in nothing. God is changing each of us through our trials to make us mature in our faith. So on the last day when this life is over, we are ready to enter eternity, completely mature, and in many ways, reflecting the image of Jesus in our transformed nature as we grow in grace. 
Isn't that a cause for joy to know that God is, sees us as a work in progress and is working actively in our lives, even through these difficult times, even through these trials? He's molding our heart. He's changing our mind. He's developing our spirit, taking us from raw materials to finished goods, complete and mature. Everything that is going on in your life is part of God's grand design just for you. What is the setting for refining our faith and preparing us for eternity with God? Trials of affliction, struggle, pain, loss, suffering, and many tears. This is the arena for God's test. And what is the response we are to have according to James? Joy. We are to learn that the pure joy of being loved by God as a father, that he cares for us and is using these trials to prepare us for the crown of life. The joy of a relationship with a perfect father who's preparing us to live with him someday. However, in our humanity, we often get it wrong. We don't feel the joy or respond well to our trials. Sometimes we stomp our feet. Sometimes we shake our fist. We don't react in the way we would like to. And let me talk about three ways that we get it wrong. One response to the trial that we do is to question the purposes of God. We immediately ask, why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? We question the plan of God. How can this be a good thing for me to experience? We want an answer and we want to know now. We want to know why. Eve in the garden wanted to know why there was one fruit she couldn't eat. God doesn't tell us everything. He does keep secrets. But there are many, many things that God has revealed to us through his word. Do not try to work out the secret plan of God. Just trust that you have a good God who is in control and does care for you. Start with what God has revealed in Scripture and let that be your guide. The second response is to doubt the goodness or the wisdom of God. Lord, how can you let this happen to a nice person like me? Or how could a good God let me suffer? It's a common atheistic argument. How could a good God allow people to suffer? But don't do like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Remember when she was talking to Satan... Satan's saying to God, or to Eve and Adam, he says, God isn't telling you the truth. God really doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's wanting to hold back something. He's a stingy God. He's being tight-fisted in his dealings with you. And he's not really giving you the best that you could give. So they doubted God's provision for their lives, and they made a wrong step by eating the apple or the fruit. But now think about your own life. How do we use trials in our own life for a good outcome? When we exercise, we buy club memberships, we go and work out our body, and we lift weights, and we run distances or ride bikes. And we put our bodies through trials to make us strong and healthy. We put our children through discipline to develop their character. We love them, but we do let them struggle with things we could easily fix for the purpose of making them more independent and better adults. And God is doing the same for us, molding us, drawing us, strengthening us through these trials, through these difficult times, even when it doesn't feel good. Another response to trials, we get bitter. We feel that we've been dealt a lousy hand, a bum rap. We're disappointed that we have to go through the calamity. James says, rejoice under trials, but this is the opposite of how we feel. Again, we are looking inside to our selfishness instead of to the purposes and the wisdom of God. God has taught believers since creation to live their lives in light of a foreseeable good, to live their lives knowing that God is going to do good for them over time. 
And on the last day, he will reward them. We're not to live like the pagans who think life is here and now, and then you die. Trials in life test our affection for worldly things. Do I have idols in my life? Am I too focused on my bank account or on my television or on my sports and not thinking in terms of God? And what do we do when those things are ripped out of our grasp? 2020 has been a year when a lot of things have been ripped out of our grasp. How do we respond? Are we trusting that God's in control? Trials test whether or not we are heavenly minded, whether or not we really live with eternal perspective. Trials force us to choose what we really love, this world or the world to come. We're not supposed to fill up our lives with stuff where moths and rust can destroy or thieves can steal because when you die, all you have accumulated is sold and gone and given to others. There are no coffins with luggage racks on them. We can't take it with us. And yet how much it takes up of our time now when we get too attached to worldly things. When you encounter trials, don't think that it's a stingy God who doesn't have your best interests in mind. He's trying to refocus you and change your interests, and he has to do that sometimes with difficult trials. But God's purposes are always good. Later on in chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, Every good gift in this life comes from above. It comes from God. Everything we are experiencing comes from him, and that should influence how we look at our trials and our sufferings. We can believe our pain has a good purpose and trust that God is working us toward a good outcome. When I have gone through trials, oftentimes I go back to Hebrews 12. I first hit it when my child was very young and in the hospital, and it's been a comfort to me whenever I go through something that's too big, I think, for me to face. But it has been a blessing to me. In Hebrews 12, it reminds us to keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus experienced these trials, but he was looking forward to joy and kept his focus on heaven. Goes on and says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Well, what does that mean? It means you have not resisted unto death. Jesus shed blood on the cross and he died. And though you've gone through some difficult times, you're still walking. That's really what Hebrews is saying there. And further on, it says, Do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes everyone he receives. Endure this suffering, this trial, as discipline. For God is dealing with you as children. For what child is there that the Father in love does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, you are illegitimate children. And then the, the final punchline of that passage to me is, no trial seems enjoyable at the time, but it's painful. God is recognizing that we go through real pain, and it's hard. But later on, it yields to the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That there is a purpose, that trial, and God knows it, and he's putting it in front of you for that reason. And James would call that purpose leading to joy. And joy is the fruit of the wisdom gained by enduring the trials of life. In verses 5 through 8, James is talking about guidance in trials. And he's telling us that what the Christian needs is wisdom. God's wisdom and perspective. And we can see in our lives and our trials from God's perspective through Scripture. 
And we also see the spiritual growth in the trials. Joy comes in knowing that we're being transformed by our trials and being prepared for heaven. James says we need wisdom to understand this process. And James also says that if we lack wisdom, we could ask God for it. God's wisdom. And he gives it generously, it says in James. And it helps us rise above the trials to maintain that perspective. James is practical when he says, if you lack wisdom, I promise you that God will give it to you. All you have to do is ask. This is an assurance of God's generosity. If you lack that wisdom and you want to make wise spiritual decisions in these trials, James is saying, here's what you have to do. Pray. When you go through your trials, God is there to provide all the necessary wisdom. Just go to him through prayer. Ask the Father to give you that kind of wisdom. Not the kind of wisdom that allows you to figure out the secret things of God, but the kind of wisdom that enables you to believe what God said in his word. He promises that he will give it to you. Just ask in prayer. Now, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it means something different than we might think of. Wisdom in the Bible and in this passage in James is talking about a deeper relationship with God. It means better understanding God. Knowledge of God or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or a deeper relationship with God. And trials teach us of our need, of our dependence, and draws us to him to get to know God better through the crucible of this world and the trials within. Finally, there's a certain blessing in store for the enduring Christian. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When God calls us to be perfected through the suffering and trials, my friends, he's only calling us to go the way that his son has already gone, that he is our leader and he is the path that we must follow. Jesus is our example for our Christian life. He is the pattern. He endured many trials for the joy of heaven and he is our salvation. Finally, in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Again, Jesus is our pattern and we are called to imitate him in many ways. Conforming to Jesus is a part of our Christian maturity. Throughout the New Testament, we are encouraged to look at Jesus. Pattern your life after the only perfect man. Look how he suffered and endured his trials. He prayed, he trusted, and was obedient to God. And he was made perfect or made complete. Therefore, if we are to navigate trials correctly, we must learn three truths from James. One, we can trust in the goodness of God and the eternal purposes of God in spite of our difficult trials. Two, we can have joy in the midst of trials because of our position in Christ. In spite of our temporary affliction, looking forward to the hopes of heaven. And third, we need to be trained and transformed by trials to allow the trials to do their work on us by following the example of Jesus and teaching us that the world is not as important as our relationship with God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our Father, and our amazing God, 
We need your grace and the refining fire of affliction for your good purpose. Give us your peace over the trials and help us rely on your strength in our weakness. Please grant it to us to trust your goodness and your plan in the face of our circumstances. We ask that thy kingdom come, thy will be done in our lives. And like David, remember that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.